My name is Sam Ashmore. I'm the discipleship coordinator uh, in Campus Ministries. I'm not sure, like I came in October, but I don't know when you're not considered new anymore, so I'll just introduce myself anyway. And I, was, I had something in my notes because I was, I was beginning to prepare this three or four days ago about the weather and how beautiful it is. And now all of a sudden we might get like 12 inches of snow. I don't know. But I'm going to speak it right now. We're not going to. Um, no snow in the name of Jesus. Um, just some rain that will be really good for the soil and for the farmers. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're speaking. And so I'm excited to open God's word this morning and continue uh, on in this season of Lent. And, and we're going to be back in the Gospel of John this morning, uh, in John 17. And I want to start with a question. And I want to ask, have you ever been just so mesmerized by someone that you wanted to be like them? I think about um, when I was younger, I wanted to be just like my dad. I don't know, I think any maybe four or five-year-old kid is in awe of their dad. And one of my things my dad did every day is shave. So I said, well... I should shave. And so I began every morning, they got me this Superman shaving kit. It wasn't a real razor, but I thought it was. And I would sit there on the sink and I would shave with my dad. And so I wanted to be like, and I'm convinced that's why I can grow a beard today because I started shaving when I was four years old. And, or, or maybe, you know, somebody else, maybe you want to be like Aaron Bart. And he's right here. And, and so for example, this morning I opened my closet and I think, what would Aaron wear? Like, what would he wear as he preaches? But actually, I think Aaron kind of wants to be like me. If you've noticed lately, he's been throwing the word y'all out there. And I actually think he's sounding a little more Texan than Canadian. And so just in, in emails and things like that. Um, or take my son, right? He's 19 months. And he's in the stage of mimicking. He tries to say what we say, but it doesn't really make sense. But doing, especially when I come home from work, I like to hug my wife. I like to kiss her. I like to ask her how her day, day is. But then Zion like darts and he just gets in our business. Like he starts kissing like our legs because he can't reach up. And he's hugs and he's just mimicking. Maybe take it a step further. Have you ever realized that you were something and so then you started to act like it? I remember becoming a dad. And you, before you're a dad, you read books, you ask questions, you go to these classes. Well, then the day comes and you go to the hospital and there's your son or your daughter and you're mesmerized. And then you spend the next two days or so in the hospital. And apparently in the job description of being a nurse in the hospital after you have a baby is to scare you to death. Uh, because all they did for the next two days was, hey, if you uh, do this, your child will not die, right? They don't say your child will live. They say don't, he won't die, or, but don't do this or he will die. Like you leave frightened. And so I guess the only qualifications of leaving the hospital to take your kid home is to be scared to death and think your kid's gonna die because that's what my wife and I did. And we get home and then it hits me. I'm a dad. I'm a dad. I'm a dad. Right? And, and it was this realization of who I was that I began to live into the calling of being a dad. Right? So I began to get up in the middle of the night and comfort my crying child or get on the ground and play with him. And I think Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 should evoke this same realization in us. It's a realization of who Jesus is and being so caught up in him that we realize how we are changed. And the only response is to pour ourselves out 
because of who Jesus is and who he's called us to be. And so that's what Jesus does. And over the last few chapters, the final hours of Jesus' life, he's been teaching his disciples. He's washed feet. He, he has shared how, we ha- how he is in us and we are in him. He has urged us to remain in the vine, to remain in Jesus and walk in obedience. And now chapter 17 is a culmination of all these things. It's a culmination of all that Jesus has, has wanted his disciples to grasp about him and about their calling. And this is his prayer. And although this prayer takes place before Easter, before Jesus' death and his resurrection, this is a post-Easter prayer. It's a post-Easter reality that Jesus is inviting us into and declaring over us as his sons and his daughters. And so I'm going to read the first few verses. John 17, verses 1 to 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus begins this prayer, and he's, he's kind of praying for himself initially. And I want to pause on verse 3 because I think there's two terms that we need to grasp and that we need to understand to understand the rest of the prayer. In verse 3, and this is eternal life. And when we think about eternal life, I think our mind instantly jumps to endless life or living forever. It's about what happens after we die. But this term eternal life is less about duration and more about quality. You get that? Eternal life is less about duration and more about quality. Here's how one commentator puts it. He says, to possess it, to enter into it, is to experience here and now something of the splendor and majesty and the joy, peace, and holiness which are characteristics of the life of God. Eternal life is not something that takes place after we die, but it's a reality that we can live right now in the present. That we can experience super abundant life now. Why? Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is a post-Easter prayer. And this is a theme throughout John's gospel. John 3, 16, we all know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. They shall have eternal life. Maybe even more clearly, John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It doesn't say will have in the future after you die, then you'll get to experience abundant life and eternal life. It says, whoever believes in me has, present tense, has eternal life. 
So when this is eternal life, well, how do we, how do we partake in this eternal life in the present? He gives us the answer. He says, know Jesus. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. John mentioned a couple weeks ago the idea of knowing in the Greek word gnosko. And, and the Hebrew word uh, is yada, and, and they're both very, very similar. And this word is actually used when referring to a husband's and a wife's sexual relationship. It's the most intimate relationship that a human can fathom. It's not just intellectual knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. And I think we, we get a little uncomfortable when we start talking about experience. Here's how Abraham Heschel, who's a Jewish theologian, he, this is what he writes about this word. It denotes an act involving concern, inner engagement, dedication, listen to this, or attachment to a person. And while Abraham Heschel didn't necessarily see that person as Jesus, I think we can make that jump. And I think this type of knowledge makes us uncomfortable. Because I think we need a corrective, and, and I'm speaking to myself as well, not just in the West, but I think in our reform circles and also in our academic circles, that knowledge is not just cognitive ability, but it's intimate, personal experience with a person, and that person is Jesus. Because if we just cognitively understand something, I don't think we're necessarily attached to it. Sometimes we can know something, but we're actually maybe detached. Are you attached to Jesus? Are you attached to Jesus? In the discipleship process of a rabbi and their pupils and their, and, and their disciples, at the end of the long program and process, there was a term, and translated into English, it was covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because a disciple, a follower, a pupil of a teacher, of a rabbi, would follow so closely that when they were kicking up the dust on the road, they would be covered by the dust of the rabbi. Are you covered in the stuff of Jesus? Not do you just know that he died, but do you experience the fullness of joy right now over any circumstance, over any situation that you're facing? Have you ever experienced the complete peace and rest that God is good and that he makes all things good, no matter if it seems bad right now? Have you experienced the unending love Jesus has for you, has for me. The fact that our Father delights in you. Have you experienced delight? That no matter what you do or what you say or who you are, Jesus delights in you as his son and his daughter. That is experiential knowledge. And while, yes, we should know it in our head, we should experience the fullness of who Jesus is and desires. And so this prayer now transitions. 
Right? We, we have this idea that eternal life is not just future, but it is a present reality. And how do we experience it? Knowing Jesus. So what does Jesus want us to know? And I think this prayer, there's three things that we're going to walk through over the next few minutes of how to experience eternal life. And I'm going to use the word superabundant life. That, that's the same. And when I say the word no, I'm also talking about the kind of knowledge we just unpacked. Not just cognitive or intellectual knowledge, but experiential knowledge. So how do we experience super abundant life here and now? Here's the first way. Is we know who Jesus is. We know who Jesus is. And John's gospel, probably more than I think I can say this more than any other book that I've read recently clearly expresses who Jesus is. We can go to the beginning. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Jesus is God. It's one of the most blatant statements in all of Scripture of Jesus' divinity and who he is. John 1, chapter 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We can look in John 17 and verse 1. It says that Jesus has authority over all flesh. Verse 5 says that Jesus existed before the foundation of the world, right? And here's verse 6. Here's what I want to look at and dwell on just for a minute. Verse 6 says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Here's the part. I have manifested your name. Jesus has manifested God's name to us. My mind instantly was brought back to the Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, we know this story well. Moses encounters a burning bush that's not being consumed, and starts talking, and, and Moses asks the question, who are you? Who are you? And the response that God gives is, I am who I am. It's from the Hebrew word to be. So maybe another translation could be, I will be who I will be. And there's two aspects that I want, want you to see here through the whole story of Scripture. I want you to take note as you read through the Old Testament, how many times that you see something like this. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Over and over again. Somebody Google, tell me how many times. I couldn't figure it out. I tried to count. Didn't work. It's all over the place. God's personal dwelling with his people. And this is big because this is the first time in human history that God has revealed his personal name to somebody. And then you can think of I am who I am. All of John's gospel is structured, structured around I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection of the life and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, throughout his life, is identifying himself as God. That's who Jesus is. And just as God manifested and revealed his personal name to Moses, God has manifested his name even more personally to us in the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
Colossians 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And he came and manifested his name to us. And I know that I'm probably belaboring this point, but I think so many of us intellectually understand that Jesus is God. We actually haven't experienced the gravity of what that means. And, 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 and if you're going to get anything the rest of the sermon, I want you to understand who Jesus is as God. That God would send his son to die. As Jesus is praying this prayer and he's, he has the cross in mind, Jesus would die and we should be caught up in awe and in wonder. Jesus is God. And I think I was telling John this before, I was so nervous about this message because I think this is a big, big deal and nervous because I want us to get it. And I'm not even sure I get it. I don't even know if I can get it. But to experience and to fall on our face and say, oh my goodness, Jesus, thank you. You are worthy. You died. You took on my sin. So if we want to experience super abundant life now, we will know who Jesus is. Here's the second thing. We will know who we are. We will know who we are. I'm going to skip a few verses, but I want to go to, to chapter 14 because Jesus transitions in this prayer, and now he's praying for you and for me. He's praying for his followers, his disciples, for us. And here's what he says about us. John 17, 14 to 19. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Stop there. Jesus says they are not of the world. They are not of the world. Jesus is now declaring over his people who we are because of him. We are new. We are cleansed. We have a new name. We have a new identity. It is no longer the world that can define us, but we are only defined by Jesus. Paul says anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Our major we choose, the money we make, the grades we get at the end of the semester don't define us. Our, yeah, amen to the grades. Our political parties, our social programs, our economic systems shouldn't define us. Jesus should. He has declared us righteous. He has said, you, he's given us a new name as son and daughter, as worthy, as forgiven, as loved, as co-heir. And here's the incredible thing about Jesus. He doesn't just stop with you are cleansed and you were made new. He goes further. Here's what he says in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Whoa. The glory God has given Jesus, he's given to you. Second Peter tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature. Still not even sure what that means, but it's awesome. That's what I know. We are partakers of the divine nature. How? Verse 19, Jesus set himself, set himself apart unto death so that we would be set apart. 
Jesus didn't stop at just making us new and making us cleanse so that we could go to heaven, but he continued on just as Jesus does. He gives us more than we could ever ask for, more than we could ever imagine, and we are partakers of the divine nature because we have the living God in us. You can love like Jesus. You have the power of Jesus. You can experience super abundant life right now because of who Jesus is and now who he has told you that you are. Here's the last thing. I'll invite the band up as we close with this point. Here's the last one. If we want to experience super abundant life, we can know who Jesus is, which causes us to know who we are. But here's where it has to lead to, knowing our mission. Knowing our mission. Verse 18, as the Father sends me, I am sending you. Why does Jesus close this prayer praying unity and love over us in this room? Verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, so that the world may know that you sent me. I think initially we get pumped about this, which we should. Jesus, oh, he's awesome. Oh, man, he's made us new. And then we get this idea and we get fired up and we want to go change the world. And we should, and we can. We can even look at Dort's mission statement, part of it, to work effectively toward Christ-centered renewal in all aspects of contemporary life. And can I tell you, I think Dort does an incredible job. But here's a caution I want to give us. Sometimes our theology leads to triumphalism, that we're going to go change things. We're going to go teach people. We're going to make sure they're changed. I'm experiencing abundant life. I want to make sure they are. But Jesus says, as I've been sent, I'm sending you. And Jesus was sent to die. We must obey as Jesus did. On his terms, his way, his mission. Are you willing to be poured out? To get no credit, to wash feet, to open a door, to pick up trash, to lose an argument, to stand in for those on the margins of society, the refugee, the orphan, the widow. Willing to humble yourself and be a learner. Are you willing to be a follower? Because that's what we're called to be. We talk about raising up leaders all the time, but we never teach people how to follow and die and serve. We teach people how to go their own way and do their own thing. But Jesus says, die, serve, go low. Thankfully, and we don't have time to unpack it, Jesus doesn't end the prayer with die, serve. He actually prays that we'll be with him where he's at. It ends with glory. It ends with a celebration. It ends with an understanding that to experience super abundant life right now, we will know who Jesus is and be so caught up in it. We'll know who we are as his sons and daughters and forgiven and partakers of the divine nature. And as a result, we will pour out our lives so that he will be made known in the whole world 